Think back with me to the time when you learned how to swim. How old were you? Who taught you? Were you in a swimming pool or a lake or the ocean? How did you feel about the water? Were you excited, nervous, terrified? How did it feel when your body figured out it could traverse the water? Your arms and legs moving in a rhythm. When you figured out how to breathe, alternating the turning of your head as you inhaled the oxygen and then exhaled, feeling the bubbles brushing your cheeks. Think back to that time when you learned how to swim. I was six years old when I learned to swim. A teacher at Old Fort Elementary named Mrs. Margaret Thomas taught me. She had a pool at her house that she would give lessons to kids in the summertime. And my friend Anne and I were both going to be taking lessons. She was more excited about it than I was, but we were both really into the Little Mermaid at the time. And we desperately wanted to learn how to swim to recreate our lives as mermaids. So lessons were very important. Anne took to swimming like a fish takes to water. She had mastered all the strokes that one learns in the shallow end and how to breathe through her nose, not holding it. And in what seemed like minutes, she had graduated from the shallow end to the deep end and was swan diving off the diving board. I, on the other hand, was this struggling little guppy who couldn't seem to let go of her nose when she would duck under the water. And I liked that I could see my feet on the floor of the shallow end, planted where I could see them. A few lessons went by before I learned how to breathe through my nose. And then I had the magical discovery of using both arms could actually get you somewhere, which was much better than one arm holding and just trying to stroke with one. But a few weeks continued. I was still in the shallow end. Anne was diving, doing her thing, aerial, in the deep end. But it didn't matter to me because by this time I had figured out how to handstand in the shallow end, how to walk on my hands on the floor and try to keep my legs as straight as they could be like a pencil up in the air. Big stuff. I was having fun. I was not learning how to swim. Because knowing I could just put my feet down and stand up whenever I felt like it was this wonderful safety net that I really relied on and told myself, I know how to swim, just keep me in three feet of water. I keep my head above water, I'm good. I'll put my head in when I want to. I don't always want to. Now sure the shallow end was limiting. I couldn't swan dive. I couldn't even really get a good cannonball. But it was safe in the shallow end. I dreaded the deep end, to be honest. Because as I was doing these handstand laps in the shallow end, through my goggles, I could see how the floor in the shallow end dropped off into this abyss where no longer could you see the bottom in the deep end. Mrs. Thomas had a strict rule that if you were in the deep end, no floaties were allowed. 
and I couldn't hold on to the rope that separated the shallow from the deep using those blue and white buoys as arm anchors. It was either all in to the deep or just get out, towel off, and forget life as a mermaid. But peer pressure works wonders. Ariel Ann and the ever-patient kindness of Mrs. Thomas eventually got me in to the deep end. Because deep down, I knew I hadn't really learned to swim unless I moved into deeper waters. Now likely Simon, James, and John's stories of learning to swim were probably vastly different than mine. Because these men were grown-ups. They were experienced fishermen. They probably learned how to swim at an early age, being expected to take over the fishing business as they grew up. So they learned about the shallows as they learned about the deep. They learned how to read the water and silently maneuver their boats to the places where the fish were. They learned the art of letting down and hauling up the nets full of the nightly catch. They also learned about managing disappointment and how to work through weariness when the job was tiring, the fish weren't where they should be, or the catch was just measly. I don't know how much fun Simon, James, and John had on their job. They were just doing what they were expected to do, what they were trained to do, which included preparing the nets for another night's work. As the crowd started gathering close to them on the shore to hear Jesus preach. Now I'd imagine that because Jesus requested Simon's boat to use as a pulpit, creating the rough equivalent of a first century sound system with the water as a natural amplifier, Simon was paying attention to what Jesus had to say. And I also imagine that the crowds were still present when Jesus turned his sermon into a demonstration that involved participation. In this case, the participation of Simon, whose boat he conveniently was already in. So imagine that Jesus' sermon that day was called Discipleship in the Deep End. And as an illustration come to life, Jesus says, let me show you what I mean. Simon receives the command, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Wearily, Simon says, Rabbi, we have worked all night long. We have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. So the fishermen and carpenter, they leave the safety of the shallows and head out into the deep, where the bottom of the lake disappears from sight. It's just the two of them in the boat. When suddenly the net starts tilting the boat down into towards the water, with the weight of a catch of a lifetime. There's so much in that net that they need help 
to prevent the nets from breaking and the boat from sinking under such mystery and abundance. Help arrives, and Jesus, Simon, James, and John all make it back to shore, both boats groaning with the weight of the haul. But the men's exhaustion suddenly replaced by a renewed vigor and sense of call. You know, they could have refused to let Jesus use their boats, their resources, their time, their energy, and stuck to the shallow end, washing and mending their nets as they always do, doing what they've always done. But they didn't. Weary as they were, these fishermen-turned-disciples agreed to put their resources back into the water at Jesus' behest. They were open to the voice of the teacher who spoke a word from God about being called to strike out into the deep, into the places that are unpredictable, that may breed exhaustion, in order to learn how not to be afraid and that this God can be trusted. Like them, we too receive the invitation to leave the shallow end and learn from our teacher what it means to be a disciple in the deep end. Shallow, tentative paddling is not allowed if we are to discern where God is calling us. This requires us, of course, to take risks. We could fail and come up with nothing. The boat could capsize. The nets we have fashioned for our safe, contained selves might break under the weight of our unlived lives. Yet Jesus tells us, as he told Simon and the others, do not be afraid. Being in the deep water with Jesus can be scary. But let's remember that Jesus was in the boat with Simon, and Jesus is in the boat with us. We will not sink with Jesus in our boat. When we risk what we have known for the sake of responding to God's call on our lives, not just as individuals but as a congregation, we will be given an abundance. What we need will be provided and more. Living into our vocation as a congregation may well bring hardships, even suffering, as Peter, we know, certainly came to understand. But there's also a kind of suffering and quiet desperation that comes when we keep our lives and our vision and our witness small. We know we're on the right path. If we sense that the new life of service that beckons to us, despite the risks, is one that offers us sustenance and joy. When we can sense, even though it's hard, something's happening. Something is moving through us, in us, and around us. And we want to be part of it. Church, there are people 
who need to see what Jesus means through discipleship in the deep end. Their lives depend on seeing and hearing people bring the word of God into their weariness, into their despair, their feelings of being overwhelmed by whatever life dumps in their lap. Providence. It's time to get out of the shallow end and into the deep end. It's time to be freed from the nets and our need to keep our feet in places where we can see them before we take the next step. It's time to let go of the floaties that keep us from being fully wet, fully immersed in the never-ceasing streams of mercy that carry us deeper into relationship with God and with others, those in the water with us. It's time to learn, really learn, to trust God's love and ever-patient kindness to hold us, to buoy us, no matter how deep we go. Jesus has shown us what he means. Mystery and abundance, renewed strength and sense of call, presence in the midst of risks, and joy for the journey. All are ours if we let Jesus lead us into the deep. So take a deep breath and dive in. Remember, we are not alone. We live in God's world. And in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.